we're in Psalm 98 uh, tonight. Uh, Psalm 98, Joy to the World, the Messiah is Coming, is what I've titled the message here. Psalm 98 looks forward to the coming of the Lord and the victory He will have over all the earth in that day. It will be a time of great celebration and joy, kingdom joy. And as we think about the psalm, we might outline it in this way as I have on the overhead. The theme is the celebration of the Lord's reign. And we have the first three verses singing the Lord's praises, overlap here. Enthusiastic praise to the Lord, verses 4 through 6, and praise from all creation. Tremendous emphasis on praise and a joyful celebration in relationship to the Lord's coming. Uh, let's read it together. There's only nine verses. I usually don't read the whole thing. I kind of work my way through it a verse at a time here or kind of chunks at a time. But there's nine verses. Let's read it together tonight. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice, and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Well, Psalm 98 comes uh, with the simple title that I left out as I read it there. But it comes with the simple title, A Psalm. A Psalm. The word psalm means a sacred poem or song. It's that idea, especially one expressing praise and thanksgiving. And it begins here in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So time to break out a new song here. Not an old one, a new song. Uh, and why? Because he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. You know, God is always working new wonders. Uh, his mercies are new Every 15 months? No. Every morning, right? Uh, God's new wonder workings here are called marvelous things. Worthy of a new song. And I'll praise the Lord for the old songs. But there's a place for new songs, right? Yeah, I heard that hearty amen coming. It was <laughs> resounding. Uh, yes, amen. Uh, David Gazik says, The concept of the new song means there should be something fresh and dynamic about worship and the songs we sing to God. Charles Spurgeon said, Miriam didn't use an Egyptian song, an old worldly song. Deborah didn't use Miriam's song. There must be new songs on new occasions of triumph. Yeah, that, I think that's, that's appropriate. Uh, when God does new awesome things, it's appropriate to sing a, a new song in honor of the occasion. In the context of this psalm, the marvelous things really ultimately relate to the events of the second coming of the Lord. His deliverance of the world will be a new thing, unprecedented thing, a marvelous thing. And it will call for a new song to properly express worship for what he has done. 
I mean, with the coming of the Lord, there's a new song that is coming forth to him in praise for what he has done. And notice we are not just singing for emotion's sake. Uh, We are called to sing thoughtfully about what God has done and the victory that he has wrought. And there will be no bigger victory than that which he, accom- than that which he accomplishes at the, the second coming. Of course, it's all based on what he accomplished at his first coming. Ultimately, it all ties together. The word marvelous can also be translated as miracles or wonders. Uh, this refers to God's wonder-working power that brings him the victory. Note it is God alone who has done this. For he has done marvelous things. This this is God's doing. It's uh, his right hand. Nobody else's. His right hand, his holy arm have gained him the victory. This is God's set apart activity. His right hand speaks of power that's unique to God. His holy arm set aside, unique, uh, incomparable, that is unique to God. And, and his activity alone. Verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Well, God has brought about salvation in keeping with his righteousness. And he has put it on display before the nations. Now, certainly there is application to God's great work uh, through the ministry of Christ at his first coming. I mean, it was at Christ's first coming that Christ presented the kingdom to Israel. On the condition of repentance. And in that context, he put kingdom truth on display as he presented his kingdom offer with signs and wonders and miracles. Really, I think the arm of the Lord was on display in the power ministry of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, 1, it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That, in context of Isaiah 53.1, relates to the first coming of Jesus Christ. The arm of the Lord was put on display through the person of Jesus Christ. And then in salvation, he has provided, in relation to the cross of Christ, we clearly see his salvation is put forth before the nations. You do realize the tomb was empty for all to see, right? Right? And then he has given us a book, and we are taking the message to the nations. God has commissioned his church and uh, is making it known in all the world. In the tribulation period, the gospel of the kingdom will be published in all the world, and then the end will come. But again, in the surrounding context of this particular psalm, the emphasis is on the great deliverance that God is going to bring at the second coming. Uh, I love Isaiah 40. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 5, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then you jump down to verse 10. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. Isaiah 52.10 says, The Lord has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And that there is a kingdom context as well. So Christ's second coming involves God bearing His holy arm in the sight of all the nations. Uh, This is a whole world event. 
And when God arises to deliver his people at the second coming, it will be in the eyes of all the nations. The entire world will witness this phenomenon of God's salvation. The salvation of Israel, the salvation of his people, he comes to rescue Israel in that context. And in the end, the entire world uh, in rebellion under Antichrist will be rallied against Jerusalem. We read in Zechariah 14.2, I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. I mean, that is ground zero here. <clears throat> but then the Lord will come to fight for Jerusalem, and he will save the day. It will be a spectacular deliverance, as only Yahweh can do. And it will be glorious in the sight of the entire world. He will come with the clouds of glory, with great power, a, the bared holy arm, with his Shekinah glory brilliantly shining like lightning from the east to the west, coming with many crowns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we read in Zechariah 14, 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. The nations will be allied, will be all rallied against Jerusalem. Uh, the nations will be gathered to battle against Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah 14, 2, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And he will put them down. Verse 3. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Did you catch that key word in the middle of that verse? The house of Israel. Israel. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness. To who? Well, to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation. The whole world's going to see this. Now in view here is God's covenant faithfulness. He has not forgotten his promises to Israel. You know those promises to Abraham? Reiterated to Isaac. Reiterated to Jacob. The patriarchs. He has not forgotten his promises to Israel. This is a really big thing in my theology, and I trust yours as well. You see, there's a very foolish theology afoot these days called covenant theology. Or, uh, and a, a big part of covenant theology is replacement, what is called replacement theology, which says that God is done with Israel, and all those promises that he previously made to them are now spiritually, somehow spiritually fulfilled in the church. And in fact, they call the church spiritual Israel. Well, it really is, in my view, blasphemous to even say such a thing because the reason is because it changes the very nature of God. You see, in this view, he is now a God who can change, who doesn't necessarily fulfill his promises. He can make a promise and renege on it. You see, in this view, you can't really take God at his word you say, well, he'll definitely keep his word to us Gentiles. He didn't keep him to the Jews, but he'll keep it to... Please. It's crazy. Presents an entirely different kind of God than the one presented in Scripture. It's a really big deal to hold a replacement theology. It's a really big error. I'm, pretty, I'm very, very strong there. I, when I taught verse by verse through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I came... Every, verse, every book I went through, I got stronger and stronger in my convictions. Uh, I definitely prepared to die on that hill. I, for a lot of people, oh, that's, it's a secondary issue. It's not a big deal. I think this is a big deal. 
In 2002, this is Jim Showers, he's writing in uh, Israel My Glory, and he says, In 2002, the CBS television news show, 60 Minutes, and you know 60 Minutes is always, you know, it's like gospel truth, right? No, not so much, but uh, anyway, he says, 60 Minutes ran a segment on what is, uh, what it proposed to motivate evangelical support for Israel. The broadcast claimed, we believe, that is evangelicals, that once all Jewish people return to Israel, Armageddon will occur as Jesus returns to the earth and eliminate them. In other words, the Christians will win and the Jewish people will lose. And then he says, forget 60 minutes. Only what God says matters. And he says Armageddon is all about saving Israel and righting the wrongs Gentile nations have brought on the Jewish people. Typically, they got it completely wrong. Zvi was, uh, I, I love Zvi. I still like to read Zvi. He, they still have an article of his. He died a few years ago. But uh, he was a Jewish convert who lived in Jerusalem for many years. A vibrant witness for Jesus Christ, day in and day out. And uh, he fought in all the early wars uh, for, for Israel. I mean, he was on the front lines there. And uh, boy, he could tell you the stories. But uh, he, uh, in this one article in Israel, My Glory, he says, We live very close to our Arab neighbors, so we see each other almost every day. A few months ago, this is writing years ago, a few months ago, I, I had a long conversation with some of them. We are very powerful, one of them told me, and one day all of Jerusalem will belong to the Arabs. One of them said to me, You are nothing. Your people are a very tiny group in a small section of land. Zvi responded, You have told me you will take Jerusalem back, but the book of Psalms says something different about Jerusalem. I read Psalm 122, Psalm 137, Zechariah 8, to show them God will never forget Jerusalem and will regather His chosen people in the city. His word says these promises are eternal. Well, there you go. Zechariah 8, which he read to them, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is what God says. The Lord of hosts. Yahweh of the armies of heaven. The Lord of hosts. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. This is a millennial kingdom. I mean, people are going to live, I think, the full duration of the kingdom if, unless they get out of hand, uh, out of line. But then it says, The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls, plain in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Just keep saying this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back. And they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Yes, many such promises we find in the Old Testament Scriptures. Verse 4, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. The worship of the Jews in the Old Testament was legendary. And you know what? It was kind of loud. It got kind of loud. Certainly at the second coming, it will be a time to shout joyfully to the Lord. All the earth is called on to do so. This verse has joy written all over it. Note the words, joyful, song, rejoice, sing. It will be a time of unprecedented joy and celebration for all those who know the Lord. 
There will be no more dreary or somber singing in that day. Verse 5, sing to the Lord with a harp, with a harp and with the sound of a psalm. With trumpets, sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. You know, singing is to be accompanied with uh, musical instruments here, is the emphasis. The harp is a stringed instrument. There are groups, you see, that don't believe in using musical instruments uh, in their worship. You know, really, to take that position is to kind of throw out the the psalms. Uh, You kind of have to do away, which was always the songbook of God's people. Let's get rid of the songbook and and worship accordingly. Uh, Just foolishness. Uh, It calls for the use of musical instruments in celebratory praise of God. And, of course, they say, well, we don't find that emphasis in the New Testament. Psalms is in the Old Testament. I think all scriptures given by inspiration is profitable. Uh, I think there's some serious application here. Uh, Legalism is all about joyless dirges to me. Uh, I say bring the harp. Strike up the joy. Do a little shouting in a controlled way. But indeed, shout joyfully. Break forth in song and accompany it with the harp. It is God-honoring to lift up our voices in strength as we worship Him. It's like at the second coming, the joy can't be contained. It will just spring forth with every fiber of their being. You know, some of us might even learn to dance like David. When he danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, again, we are to be doing everything decently and in order. But, uh, you know, you do remember Michael, right? I mean, David danced with all his might before the Lord. Michael, you know, that's not too dignified. And you know what happened in relationship to Michael. And again, certainly all things should be done decently in order. But enthusiastic joy in our worship, I think, is very appropriate. You know, people get all excited about all kinds of things, right? Go to a football game, rah, rah, rah. It really doesn't matter. Get all worked up over all kinds of things comes to worship. We should remember there is a context here. It's a climactic time of celebration related to the second coming. It calls for all-out exuberance and joyful celebratory worship. And he kind of, he really builds here. Let the sea roar. Verse 7, all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. The whole world is called on to celebrate. Even nature here is personified. He's using figurative language. uh, As being overjoyed. Clapping denotes being happy and celebrating something good. There's an ever-widening emphasis of celebration. First Israel, all the earth, then the whole of nature. We read in Romans chapter 8, what are we waiting for? What are we looking forward to? What's our expectation? The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. When we finally come into all that God has promised us in terms of kingdom release, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Verse 9, For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world. 
and the peoples with equity, which is the idea of fairness. Now, when people think about the Lord coming to judge the earth, they often, sometimes it seems like they almost cringe, right? I mean, you've read the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Sometimes people tend to think about it in kind of a negative way. But for God's people, let me say this, for God's people, that is completely inappropriate. We need to realize His coming will put an end to open rebellion, to lawlessness, to murder, crime, all these kinds of things. He is coming to rule with a rod of iron. And it is cause for celebration for his people. Yes, for the unsaved, it's really a warning call to repentance, to a call to repentance and faith. But for the saints, it will usher in the golden age that we have long desired and prayed for. It will be a time of health, peace, and prosperity. There'll be no more godless tyrants afflicting oppression on the people. There will be no more war and conflicts. I mean, we have verses like this from Micah chapter 4, verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Time of peace, universal peace. At the time of the second coming, all of heaven gets excited. I love these verses. I refer to them quite often. But what's going on in heaven uh, in relation to the uh, second coming of Jesus Christ? Revelation 19, of course, Revelation 19, the whole theme of that chapter is the second coming of Jesus Christ. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. I mean, it got loud, got loud in heaven, saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. Because He has judged the great harlot, great system of false religion ultimately tied to Antichrist, who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. They are rejoicing in the judgment of God. And then you continue on in verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. This truly is the Alleluia Chorus. Now sometimes it seems like the forces of evil, uh, like uh, the devil, is winning the battle. But I want to remind you, it's temporary. Christ is coming, and justice will be served. Christ is coming, and His powerful arm will give him the victory. Now, people today clamor for justice. But you know, I notice they're not really clamoring for biblical justice. Often they just want their pound of flesh. But one day Christ is going to come, and he is going to set all things straight. Coming judgment will be with equity. That is absolute fairness according to the Lord's standard. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, 
presented this earth in a figurative way as Narnia, which was under the power of the wicked witch of the north. It was a miserable situation. The land was in a state of perpetual winter. Spring never came. But then when Aslan, you know, portraying Christ, rose from the dead, the ice began to melt. Flowers bloomed and the trees turned green. It's just a poetical writing, but it is descriptive of what will come to full fruition when Christ comes again. And then the earth, everything about the earth and the conditions on the earth, everything will be new. It will be time for a new song. Indeed, figuratively speaking, the sea will roar with joyous praise. The rivers will clap. The hills will ring with joy. And as God's people, we will all join in with everything in our being as we celebrate and praise our great God for the marvelous things that he has done. True story. One day while walking home from a church service in Southampton, England, young Isaac Watts, then 20 years of age, uh, in 1694, so this goes back a couple of years, right, uh, complained to his father about the music of the church. Imagine a young person doing such a thing. I mean, some, some, some things never change. Uh, the younger generation always wants to change things up, right? Uh, there's really nothing new under the sun. But on the occasion of uh, God's doing marvelous things, a new song to the glory of God is always appropriate. There's a place for a new song. At least that's what young Isaac Watts thought, right? And so Isaac Watts told his father, kind of complaining to his father, that uh, what the church was singing lacked beauty and therefore was really a detriment to proper worship. Well, his father listened. He's a wise father. He listened. And then he told him if he didn't like it, he should try to create something better. So you know what Isaac Watts did? He sat down and he started writing new songs to the Psalms of all places. And when he came to Psalm 98, he wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature say. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Well, you know what? We're, singing, we're still singing that old, new song today, aren't we? This hymn has become a favorite of the, Christian, of the Christmas season. But in truth, it's a song about the second coming. Based on Psalm 98. It calls us to recognize Christ as our Savior and King to open our hearts to the rule of His love and grace. The psalmist in Psalm 98 wrote, O sing to the Lord a new song. Isaac Watts did just that in his song, Joy to the World, calling us to anticipate and to celebrate the promise of the Lord's coming to reign. Indeed, let us even now worship in celebration. Sing to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. And he is about to do marvelous things, as we see prophetically stated in the scriptures. We have a singing faith. We have a joyous faith because for us, as God's people, the very best is yet to come. Our king is going to come one day, and he is going to set things straight in this world. Well, let us rejoice that he is coming to judge the earth 
then all things will be set straight. Let's stand and sing together.